we started downtown meditation community uh, 20 years ago in the weeks and months after, uh, after 9-11. We've been doing retreats here since then, uh, since that time. And actually before that, we did retreats here going back to 98, 99 uh, at New York Insight. So in these days uh, and weeks and months, We've been starting again with live classes, in-person classes. In-person classes, uh, we had a really great retreat in April, an eight-day retreat at Powell House. And uh, we've started, uh, as many of you know, and some of you have been there, a weekly uh, in-person class on Monday nights. Begin today with a, with a quote from Zen Master Dogen who said, uh, quite famously, when you walk through the mist, you get wet. You get wet. And one of the interpretations that he offered for that little bit of a Zen koan is, uh, you're affected by the beings, the people that you spend time with. Uh, he said, uh, Associating with a good person is like walking through mist and dew. Though you will not become drenched, gradually your robes will become damp. So if we associate with wise people, have admirable friends, it's going to have an effect on us. I mean, it's not going to lead us, it's, it's not going to in and of itself bring about awakening. We're not going to get drenched, uh, uh, but we're going to uh, we're going to learn and we're going to, uh, it's more than learn, uh, the association, the being with uh, admirable friends is going to affect us, it's going to have an effect on us. Uh, the Buddha said, of course, that admirable friendship, wise friendship, is the most important external factor that supports our path. And it, it really speaks to the reason why he spent so much effort uh, refining the Vinaya. You know, in the Buddhist teachings, there's the, the Dhamma and the Vinaya. The Dhamma is the teachings, the technologies of meditation and, and the heart practices and all the different teachings that the Buddha gave. And then the Vinaya is the code of conduct for the monks. And of course, there's a simplified code for householders, which of course are the five precepts. For the monks, there's 227 uh, guidelines, precepts. And one of the ways that you could think about that and why the Buddha was so meticulous and careful in creating that code was that he wanted to create a group that he called a Sangha that was going to really have a power, you know, so that when, when beings joined the Sangha, and they walked through that mist, they really, their robes really did get wet. You know? So he really wanted to ensure that uh, the Sangha was made of admirable beings. And the way that he did that, and the way that we do that, is by, uh, by having certain uh, guidelines for practice and for, for uh, becoming a participant and a member in, in, in the community. 
he wanted to create a community that was going to have a real power uh, and a community, community in which beings could awaken. You know, and that's uh, the reason why you know, I, I felt it's important to get back into doing live classes, uh, in-person meetings, having retreats like this, is that uh, in, for our practice to grow, we need to be able to walk through that mist and have our robes get a little wet. Uh, and uh, we need to associate with wise beings as we've done today. And we need to do that in person for our practice to develop. want to move towards awakening. Uh, we, we spend our time with wise beings, who, beings who practice skillfully, practice earnestly, but not just beings who do that, who are practicing. You know? So, you know, being with each other as we practice uh, has an effect on us. We all know that from being in groups and doing day-long retreats like this and all the different kinds of uh, dharma uh, classes and retreats that we've participated in. One of the things that I've always wanted to do in starting communities is to uh, you know, not have 227 rules, but to try to create a community of practitioners uh, that was a strong group of practitioners, just like this is a strong group here today. You know? uh, and sometimes people would come to you know, our, our class over on 14th Street, is, as, as many of you, if not all of most of you have, have done, did over the years, and people would, were new to the group and said, man, it's a serious group. I mean, you guys don't fool around, right? Yeah, that's the idea. That was the idea, yeah? uh, you know? Uh, you know, and, then, and that idea wasn't because, I mean, maybe in my earlier days, that I kind of could fall into that, trying to be a taskmaster or something. But it really was about trying to create a strong community where beings could awaken and really develop their practice. The beings that we associate with and practice with, uh, practice with as we've done today, uh, that's gonna have a great effect on our ability to awaken. In terms of an analogy, I, I've often, there's many, many things in my life where, or a number of things where uh, if it was outside of meditation, outside of the Dharma, when I associated with beings who were proficient in doing whatever it was we were doing, you know, I became more proficient and I developed my own skill. Uh, I always think of when I played soccer. Yeah. In particular, I think of when, uh, when I was in college, my freshman year in soccer at the University of Pennsylvania, I was on the freshman team. Uh, I don't know if it's still this way. This is going back a long time ago. This would be 1973. Uh, and uh, in those days, freshmen in the Ivy League couldn't play on the varsity, you know? So, you know, we had like this freshman team with all of these players who were recruited and all these guys who were like high school Americans. I mean, it was a tremendous team. Several guys went on to become pros and stuff. We would play the varsity. The varsity was ranked, I think, number six in the country, and we would kill them, you know, in, in scrimmages, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I mean, I was decent, but these guys were like so much better than me, so much better than me. 
uh, and I got so much better playing with them, you know, practicing with them day, you know, every day for months practicing with them. I mean, my skill level just got so much higher just by practicing with them. Uh, I remember one day towards the end of the season, we had a game and the coach graciously put me in at some point. You know, I definitely wasn't a starter, but he put me in. He gave me a lot of playing time that game. Uh, uh, it's a game we were going to pretty easily win, like pretty much all the games we played. But I, you know, I played really well. And one of the stars on the team, who was a friend of mine, came up to me afterwards and says, man, you've gotten so much better this year. And I, and I said, yeah, because I've been playing with you guys every day for the last three months. You know, of course I've gotten better. You know? But I kind of embraced that. You know? I kind of embraced that. These guys were so much better than me. But that was okay with me. You know? I mean, I kind of really looked at it as an opportunity. I loved playing the game. But there were guys who just didn't, you know, I mean, the guys who were better than me quit the team because, like, they weren't going to be starting players and everybody else was so much better than them, you know, and they didn't like that, you know. To me, this was like a tremendous opportunity. I, I kind of embraced it. So, you know, you know, I th think when you come to a day long like this, you know, you really embrace the practice. You know, you embrace the fact that, you know, it may not be so easy, right? Uh, when we first started doing these day-longs, it was hard. I mean, it was really hard. Uh, years and years ago, back, you know, in the early uh, 2000s, uh, you know, and a lot of people were, were newer then in the practice. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I was like, this was the format. You know, this was the format. And, you know, if you're newer, this is a hard format. <laughs> this is a hard format. And I remember one, one of our beloved members saying, I think it was, may have been at one of our meetings, our, our community meetings, saying, you know, the day-longs are too hard, you know? Can't we have, you know, like themes, you know, in small groups, you know, and you can take out the chalkboard, you know? And I said, no, you know? I said, no, you know, I'm challenging you guys to be better, you know? You know? And I remember some of those day-longs were just really difficult, you know? Uh, but, but everybody got better. You know, everybody got better over time. Everybody's practice really developed over time. So I, I like uh, that analogy of the soccer team, and uh, I like that metaphor of Dogen's, uh, when you walk through the mist, you get wet, uh, because it speaks to a felt experience, right? The metaphor speaks to a felt experience. Uh, the experience of the robes getting wet, the body uh, dampening as we walk through the mist. Uh, you know, our practice is a felt practice, is a felt experience. We have a felt sense of our practice, right? Uh, you know, that transcends uh, uh, you know, what we're doing in terms of working with the breath or even the quality of attitude that we bring to it, there's a felt sense of practice. Practice is a felt experience. It's an in-the-body experience. This is how we learn. This is how we learn. Uh, you know, we learn a little bit. We learn a little bit uh, through, uh, in the mind, through intellectual understanding. Uh, so, I mean, if you think about this moment right now, uh, you know, we have a felt experience of this moment right now, right? 
and you could maybe describe that experience to somebody later on. You know, Mary Ellen was sitting over here, Sam was in the back, the lights were kind of dim, uh, whatever, you know. But a much deeper understanding of the experience is the felt experience we have of it right now, which transcends language. I mean, you can't, you, uh, what you can do in terms of describing or understanding this experience in terms of language is really quite limited, right? And we have this felt experience of being here, right here in this moment, you know, which for some of us includes all the other times we've been here in this space, right? is part of the felt experience that we have right now. And it also includes, for those of us who know each other, other times we've been in this space with each other or other experiences we've had over the years with each other is all part of this experience that we're having now. And all the other times that we've come on retreats and done day-longs and have practiced the Dharma is all part of this moment right now, this felt experience. So uh, this bodily experience transcends an intellectual understanding of this moment, right? Something that's so intricate, right? You can't, you can't describe it, really. I mean, I just tried to describe it, but you can't really describe what's it like, the experience of being in this room uh, and having been here before maybe dozens of times, maybe over decades. Can you describe what that feels like? what that experience is, that's an experience you know in the body, and ultimately it's something that you know in the heart. As Dharma students, we're trying to get beyond the intellectual, beyond what the mind can understand. So it's important to have an in-the-body experience. It's important to have an in-the-body experience, in the present moment, an in-person experience of, of retreat, of Dharma practice. The Buddha's practice is a practice, primary practice that we've been practicing today is a practice of mindfulness, right? To put the mind on something. So we're putting the mind on the body, starting with the breath, right? We're putting the mind on the body, uh, our body. There's also mindfulness of these other bodies too, right? There's this internal mindfulness of our own body and our own felt experience, but there's also mindfulness of the other beings who are here as well. And that's part of our experience. There's mindfulness of the body in relationship to these other bodies. Right? The body exists in relationship to the other bodies, right? Your body would, you'd experience your body differently if one person less was in this room, if two people less. If nobody else was in this room, you'd experience your bodily, body differently. So we experience our body, our experience of this felt experience of body in relation to other bodies as this felt quality. So we're developing here this experience and this in-the-body experience of being awake, right? We're practicing being awake, coming out of the dream, coming out of the thought worlds, and waking up. Uh, so we have this in-the-body experience of, of making an effort to be awake, of ourselves making an effort to be awake, and the other yogis also making an effort to be awake. Okay? 
So that's, that's retreat, that's being here in person. Rumi said, one of my favorite of his poems speaks to this quality. He said, stay together, friends. Don't scatter and sleep. Our friendship is made of being awake. Stay together, friends. Don't scatter and sleep. Our friendship is made of being awake. The water wheel accepts water and turns and gives it away, weeping. That way it stays in the garden, whereas another roundness rolls through a dry riverbed looking for what it thinks it wants. See, that's kind of like how it is, right? We're always looking for what we think we want when it's all right here in this experience of being awake and being awake with each other and making this effort to be awake. Stay here, quivering with each moment. This experience of quivering bodies. Stay here, quivering with each moment like a drop of mercury. Stay together, friends. Don't scatter and sleep. Our friendship is made of being awake. So the Buddha's wisdom uh, that we seek to develop, and you know, we develop it just by being here and being in the present moment and in the place of being awake. Wisdom develops. You know, wisdom develops. Wisdom develops to the extent that we're in the body. We, if we can maintain mindfulness of the body, wisdom will develop. Because the wisdom, the Buddha's wisdom is, is a wisdom that's understood in the body and in the heart. So we have this experience here of making this effort to be awake together, uh, you know, and, and you know, it, it, it's interesting because this experience that we're having is, other than this point, part right now with me talking, has been in silence, right? Our experience of the retreat has been uh, an experience that uh, other than you know, our own efforts to try to perceive and analyze and judge the retreat has been, and we're trying to move to this place beyond language. So there's just this experience that we have here of bodies practicing together, hearts practicing together. So there's an understanding uh, of uh, this process of waking up. Uh, there's a wisdom that develops, that takes place, that transcends anything that's intellectual, that comes just from being here. Like I said, sort of the only glitch is the Dharma talk, right? Yeah. But with, even with the Dharma talk, I mean, you can listen to what I'm saying, you know? Uh, the trick with that is, I mean, you can hear the words, right? The trick with that is, 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 is that you start to try to figure it out or there's liking and disliking around what I'm saying. So really what we want to try to do is, yeah, you want to try to listen to the words to some extent, but really try to stay in the body and develop a more of a felt sense of what I'm saying. This is why Tanisha Rubiku often says, don't listen to what I'm saying, just feel your breath. Stay in the body develop a felt sense of this experience of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Understanding happens on a level that's deeper than an intellectual level with the Dharma. Right? 
so you understand the teaching and try to, and the more you try to figure out what the teacher is talking about, in this case myself, you know, the further you get from it usually. So we try to just be in the body and have an in the body understanding and then ultimately the truth goes straight to the heart. I mean, it's very similar to, you know, you know, you know, sometimes parents say to me, can you, can, you, can you teach my kids, you know, the Dharma? Can you teach them meditation? What should I teach them? And, you know, I say, what I tell them, of course, is, you know, be an example. You know, be a model of somebody who, who, uh, who uh, embodies the Dharma, who embodies generosity and non-harming and wisdom and compassion and love. You don't have to say anything. Kids learn by watching. You know, kids learn by watching. We all learn. You know, it's 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 it, it's more. It's it, it's a bodily and a felt experience. You know, we learn by being here and being here with each other. Kids learn by watching their parents. A parent, you know, a parent teaches a child by modeling a certain way of life, living, being. So there's deeper understanding in the silence. You know, there's a deeper understanding of the truth in the silence. A deeper, you know, a deeper understanding of the truth. You know, and largely what I'm talking about here, of course, is the truth of this shared experience of being with each other. Right? This is what this talk is about: is about the shared experience of being with each other in person. And and and. You know, there's part of my mind that says, well, is that really enough of a talk or a Dharma talk? I mean, there, could there be an, any more important one? Not in terms of, you know, you know, trying to make an argument for uh, why we should meet in person and, you know, in light of the fact that we haven't for a long time, but that this is how we live life, you know? You know, we live life and make, learn to make the most of, the, of, of life and our capacity to make the most of this life happens in community. That's why the first thing the Buddha did was start the Sangha. You know, so, so community is, is so important. You know? I mean, it all happens within community. You know, as we come out of this pandemic and or as we seek to, to, to grow in our lives, uh, you know, one of the things that I think we need to think about is is what does that mean in terms of my relationship to community? See, I was almost going to say you have to be in a community, but 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 I, but I, but I, you know it's food for thought, right? It's food for thought. So we in 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 in, in Dharma practice, you know, in, in, in a retreat is kind of you know this that's sort of like high end Dharma practice. High, high volume, high voltage Dharma practice, right? Uh, we, we, but in Dharma practice in general, uh, we develop a deeper understanding of the truth. In the silence, we develop a deeper understanding of the truth. The silence that we're always developing in our practice, externally through renunciation, internally through meditation, uh, externally through seclusion on a day like this. So, 
we begin to understand the deeper truth of our human experience, the truth that lies beyond the veil of perception, identity, convention. One of these beautiful teachings where the Buddha gives different metaphors, uh, different ways of using the ocean as a metaphor. The Buddha says, just as whatever great rivers there are, such as the Ganges, the Yamuna, the Achirawati, the Sarabhu, the Mahi, on reaching the ocean, give up their former names and are classed simply as ocean. In the same way, when members of the four castes, these were the castes in India at the Buddhist time, when members of the four castes, noble warriors, Brahmins, merchants, and workers, go forth from home to the homeless life in this Dhamma and Vinaya, declared by the Tathagata, they give up their former names and clans and are classed simply as contemplatives. So, you know, we come to the Dhamma, we come to a day long like this, you know, we, 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 we give up our, our identities, right? We give up our identities. Uh, we're not teachers, we're not, I mean, I'm kind of playing out an identity as a teacher, but you give up your identity as artist, as Uber driver, whatever it is that you do, uh, you give up that identity. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're just, you know, and of course, you know, the silence really supports that because we can't reinforce our identity uh, by talking about it. You know, I just drove, you wouldn't believe what I got into my Uber the other day, or, you know, talking about, you know, your artwork or whatever, right? So, you know, we're letting go of all of that. You know, we're letting go of that, or we're making an effort to let go of all of that. The silence supports that. Mm -hmm. So this is something we talked a lot about on the April retreat. So, you know, we come here, you know, we're not, we're not dressed, you know, we, we, we put our uniforms to the side, you know, and it's just bodies practicing the Dharma. It's just bodies practicing the Dharma, just like the Buddha said. It's, you know, it, you, know you join, you know, the Sangha of the Buddha, you give up your identity as a member of a certain caste. Those rivers give up their identity as rivers when they empty into the ocean. So we begin to see at least, you know, we may struggle with that, you know, uh, you know, and, and we create identities for us or, and perceptions on the retreat, right? That we might have to struggle with like good meditator, bad meditator, good meditation, bad meditation, good retreat, bad retreat, right? So we start to see into the emptiness of these identities and perceptions these likes and dislikes. This is our practice. Uh, and we get down to just what's true, you know? This felt experience of bodies practicing. You know, there's just bodies, there's nine bodies, 10 bodies. My body, you can count my body. So there's 10 bodies, 10 hearts. You know, there's just wisdom, love, compassion. Appreciation. And that's what's that's what's real, that's what's true. We 
you understand that you know, when we come and practice the Dharma, you come to understand that. You know, those identities are empty. Those perceptions are empty. And the truth is, there's just bodies practicing. There's hearts, ten hearts. There's wisdom, there's love. come to understand eventually that, you know, and everything is just getting in the way of that, right? Everything is just getting in the way of that. So there's beings here practicing out of compassion, out of loving kindness, out of a wish to end suffering and to know true happiness. So there's these beings who are here uh, practicing with the same sense of purpose. And we're learning that from each other. nobody trying to show off that they're the best meditator or you know that they have accomplished this or that or the other thing. We're just here, these bodies and hearts, practicing in the service of compassion and loving kindness so that we can know freedom from suffering and true happiness. So we begin to get a sense of that, what, it, what that kind of a community is, is like. Right? So this is a Dharma community. I also think it, you know, it, it, it serves as uh, a model for community. If you want to think about uh, the world, you know, the world needs a lot of help, you know, and it's really going to happen like 10 people sitting in a room like this is where it really happens, as far as I'm concerned. You know, this is what the Buddha believed. You know? I mean, this is very, very, very powerful what's happening here. This is a, a, you know, this is a good uh, example, a model of a Dharma community, but I think a good model and example for a community, a community that's based on compassion and loving kindness, that's based on generosity and non-harming. I mean, you know, it, I had this experience at lunch, you know, that's similar to experience I've had, but it seemed, it just seemed really exacerbated almost today, uh, you know, like kind of going out onto Hudson Street, you know, and it's like there's a world in here and there's a world out there, man, and those are different worlds, you know, you know, and, it, and I think it's changed a little bit in this neighborhood maybe, I don't know, it seems like it used to be a lot more placid there, but, but, uh, but you know, and, and I was sitting in the, in the little vestibule area and I was like, there's that door. You know, there's the door between like what we're doing here and what's going on out there. You know, and you know, and I'm like, what's that about? You know, you know, and my tendency is to want to have perceptions. This is good. That's bad. What they're doing, you know, or want to, you know. But I think that's a that's a great place to kind of just uh, try to get beyond perceptions of what's out there and what's in here, likes and dislikes, good and bad. You know, and just kind of be with a felt sense of that. You know, just be with that felt sense of that door being there and us being here and them being there and, 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 and let understanding come out of that deeper place. You know? Because my mind has ideas you know, that are very limited. You know? But when I let myself experience, so now I'm kind of taking it you know, live in-person bodies, our bodies and their bodies. You know? 
but when I could kind of just take it down to that felt level, that felt sense of, all right, let me not think about the dichotomy. Let me experience the dichotomy on a felt level, you know, just as it is, the truth of it, without layering on top any perceptions, and just see what comes out of that. There's, there's some understanding there that I felt like I kind of started to touch into, you know, how, how we can kind of come, all come together, you know, in this process. But leaving that to the side for now, uh, the point is, you know, the importance of having a felt experience. So we practice together and it brightens the mind. Uh, there's joy. Uh, in the goodness of the effort, you know, there's joy in the goodness of the effort that we're making, in the goodness of our wholehearted effort. There's joy in being part of something that's good. There's joy in being a Dharma student and being part of this Dharma, the Buddha's Dharma that people have been practicing for thousands of years. There's joy in, uh, you know, and the joy is a felt experience, right? There's joy in working together in a room like this, ten bodies and hearts working together towards a common goal. And I think there's joy in community, you know, and there's joy in working together towards a shared goal, right? I mean, again, I go back to when I played sports, uh, you know, and I think of when I was in high school, and it was such joy, you know, and you know, played with these guys for years in high school, you know, on the same team, you know, we played on summer teams and all these, you know, and there was such great joy in that friendship, uh, that community in the service of a common goal, such a deep friendship that I shared with, you know, my comrades, the guys I played with. You know, such, it was such a joyful, you know, people ask me, what was the most joyful experience of your life? And they always say, that and this, that and this. And they all share that same thing. You know, being that, you know, and it's something you can't really describe. You know, I'm so limited in my ability to describe it. I just found out that uh, just a few days ago, my brother told me that one of my dearest friends from high school, John Moore, Johnny Moore, uh, who was, we played soccer together. I mean, we were like brothers. And he just very recently, well, I guess it was a little while ago, it was during the pandemic, he passed away. He was actually a New York City fireman and, uh, and died from uh, uh, you know, causes that came from, and he didn't die on 9-11, he died years later, many years later from uh, illnesses that were caused by, by working um, at 9-11. And they actually, uh, my brother found out about it because they, they actually just put his, uh, a monument to him and a few others at the memorial down at uh, World Trade Center. So of course that also speaks to the idea that time is short to make this effort. Time is short, you know, it's time is short for you, time is short for all of us, all beings. You know, we, we have this, this shared experience of this life in which we're subject to sickness, aging, and dying in which we'll be separated from all that's dear and appealing to us. You know, this is an experience that we share. You know, each one of us share, we share this with each other, we share it with those beings out on Hudson Street. You know, it's, I mean, it's very powerful to, 
to be here with you all. You know, many of us have kind of gone through the last 20 some odd years together. You know, I've known some of you longer than 20 years. Zen Master Dogen. Time swiftly passes by and opportunity is lost. Each of us should strive to awaken. Awaken, take heed, do not squander your life. So an in-person retreat is, is you know, it requires a lot of effort, right? Uh, it takes an effort to get here. Uh, you know, we're facing unusual obstacles in getting here these days. Uh, you know, we really have to acknowledge our effort that we made just to get here and to be here and do this practice with each other. Uh, In-person retreat is harder uh, because we come up in relationship against the way the mind is. You know, our tendencies to claim our karma, our habitual patterns. So sometimes we come up when we meditate in a room like this with each other against the comparing mind, you know, comparing ourselves to others, the perceptions that we have of others, perceptions that we have of ourselves in relationship to others, our likes and dislikes, if it's our likes and dislikes of others or the conditions. But the retreat is an opportunity, our practice is an opportunity to see these perceptions, to see these likes and dislikes, right? You know, in the silence and in the concentration, uh, we're able to see these things more clearly. So it's an opportunity to practice, to understand the mind, an opportunity to develop wisdom. Yeah. And again, you know, we don't need to think about our perceptions and our likes and dislikes and our aversions and desires. Uh, bring awareness to those experiences. You know, bring awareness. You know, so perhaps bringing awareness to an experience, again, transcends the intellectual. It's a felt experience. It's a felt sense of, oh, there's that perception uh, I have of another person or I have of myself as a yogi, or there's that felt experience of liking and disliking, you know, and understanding your experience on a felt level by bringing awareness to it and then developing trust in the heart to understand you know, the emptiness of what we're doing, what we're holding on to, and the pain in holding on and the possibility of letting go. That quality of compassion, you know, is right there in the heart when we bring awareness to the ways that we're causing ourselves suffering through our perceptions and our likes and our dislikes. And there can be compassion. Concentration is always stronger when we practice with each other. The mind is bright. Practice is joyful, even though it may be difficult. It's joyful. It's joyful. It's joyful to practice when it's hard, when it's difficult. It's joyful to do things that are challenging. To make a noble effort, as the tradition has always said, doing what has to be done so we can reflect on the blessing, the goodness of our effort, In closing, I would say, you know, really learn to see. You know, something I've talked about for years, that you know, what we're doing here in, in a day long like this is, you know, it's a noble endeavor. And it's important work, a 
talked about this uh, at the retreat uh, in April. It's a meaningful endeavor. This is meaningful. You know, my life lacked meaning. I came to the Dharma. Dharma practice brought meaning to my life. And it's the thing that brings meaning to my life. This is a meaningful way of living. This is a meaningful way of being in community, to practice generosity and non-harming, to train the mind, to open the heart, to develop compassion and metta. You know, what we're doing here is important. It's important for us. It's important for those who are close to us. It's important for all beings, what we're doing here. That's something the mind doesn't understand. In the heart, we understand that. In the heart, we understand that. Doesn't matter how many people are here. Doesn't matter how many breaths we felt, really. What matters is that we're making the effort. It's in making this effort that we bring meaning to our lives. <laughs>